This Slate Spoiler Special is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 700,000 high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use offer code SPOILER5. Hi, this is Dana Stevens, Slate's movie critic, here with the Slate Spoiler Special podcast on Star Trek Into Darkness, the new J.J. Abrams Star Trek movie. And joining me in the Slate studio in New York is Brian Lauder. Hello, Brian. Hello. You are the editorial assistant for culture at Slate. That's right. And you're a longtime Trek fan. Would you would you qualify yourself as one? Yeah, I'm definitely not a Matt Iglesias level of Trekkiness, but uh, I grew up on Voyager and have gone back and watched um, most of the old series and a number of the movies. So, yeah. so Voyager was your entry point. That's right. Yeah, I grew up sort of when that was on television and, and followed it very closely. You're making me feel like I was <laughs> definitely born during the Johnson administration. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, so we are actually recording this spoiler after the fact, a week after the movie came out and, and the review came out by popular demand, because a lot of people wrote to me saying, why are you not spoiling Star Trek? It ended up being because I didn't get to see it at the advanced press screening and sort of had to write at the last minute. But then after seeing it, I realized this really is a movie that needs to be spoiled because Absolutely. there's so much stuff you can't talk about in a review, including the big reveal of who the villain is, which I think anyone intelligent would have guessed before yeah. going into the movie. But I had avoided the press so effectively and walk, walked in so blind that I actually was kind of surprised. Yeah, I was I was sort of surprised when people were upset that it was spoiled. I believe another critic did spoil it, and there was kind of a big uh, backlash against that. And I was aware that it was con long before, so I didn't really realize it was a secret, but I guess I had just figured it out from sort of clues along the way. Well, so as long as we just revealed yeah. it, let's talk a little <laughs> bit about that. So the, the reveal that we're talking about is that the uh, the villain who's initially introduced under the name John Harrison, John Harrison. is that right? Like That's a right. nice, bland moniker, played by Benedict Con- played by Benedict Cumberbatch, who at the beginning is just sort of a, a vague evildoer. We're mm-hmm. not quite sure what his, his motives or in, intentions are. eyes, yeah. He is revealed to be Khan, who in this reinvention of the Star Trek continuity would be the Ricardo Montalban character from Space Seed, the, uh, the episode in the mm-hmm. original series, and later from the second movie, The Wrath of Khan. Right. And he's sort of, I, I guess, remembered in pop culture as the great Star Trek villain, although there are so many other great ones to choose from. Yeah, being a, a, voy- a child of Voyager, um, the Borg is always my, my great villain, but Khan does seem to be the most uh, revered among them all. Yeah. I'm wondering in future J.J. Abrams versions of this franchise, if they will start getting to, you know, deep states if they will start getting to Deep Space Nine characters and Voyager characters, because it yeah. seems really clear that he's invented, you know, he just wants to use the whole patchwork Star Trek universe as a, a, a way to elaborate on themes. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So this is sort of jumping into the middle of the movie, but I want to know what you did think about that that reinvention of the villain as Khan. I think that even though Cumberbatch is great and he's really wonderful at projecting that kind of, you know, all-purpose evil, that it's really kind of a letdown, the end of the movie, as far as how that character is, is wrapped up. And not that much is done with all the promise of Khan as a, as a villain. Yeah, he, he he's definitely uh, embodies the sort of just, like you say, pure evil thing. But it, it there's not much room for him to, like... Uh, do much with that. He, there's, he doesn't have that many lines. He's just kind of there, and he crashes a ship into San Francisco, and like, and that's it. Um, so I agree. I, I don't think that it was that it was the most uh, potent realization of that character, but I think it it worked for the purposes of the movie as well. Yeah. The whole idea, right, is that he was this absolute dictator, mm-hmm. and that he had two thirds of the world under his power. Yes. That's briefly referred to, but we don't really get any sense of like what was life like under Khan. You know, I kind of would have loved like a little historical discursion where they talked about. Well, yeah, it, it was interesting. That, you know, him his being such an important villain in the universe, they really didn't give him much of a backstory. I mean, we, you know, if you don't already know it, uh, if you're new to the to the to the universe, I mean, yeah, he's 300 years ago. He r- rules half the earth. There are like all these 
genetically modified beings who are like trying. There's like a big war, eugenics wars. He's kind of Genghis Khan, right? I mean, yeah. I think he's kind of he's meant to be patterned after that kind of. And leader. he's exiled, and it's like there's a whole backstory there that's not really given in, in this in this film, and so it's he ends up being kind of this you know stone cold guy that just is, is there being evil but there's no you lose sort of the political weight of right of once story. once we get the reveal that he's con there's sort of nothing left yeah. to do with him and there also could have been great seeds planted for some return of either him or something related to his story yeah. if we had felt a little bit more of what he means to kirk that was yeah. a huge part of the movie the wrath of Khan, right yeah. what did Khan mean to kirk he was his ahab he'd been chasing him through space yeah. for all these years that could have been just sort of saved up for some some future version well and it's funny because we have you know leonard nimoy coming back playing old spock who's now in this universe somehow I won't get into the complicated physics he of basically that. pops up to advise his younger yeah. self he has in both movies right? and, and shares you know shares the information against the temporal prime directive that that uh, you know Khan was was indeed one of the greatest foes they ever faced and it was at great cost and all of that but that's like so tantalizing and, and there's no explanation of what he means by that so if you aren't familiar with the old movie or the the TV series then like I, I can't imagine how that played for someone I mean I, I knew but you know, here's this, and in fact, our uh, Aisha Harris, our browbeat writer, who's a Star Trek virgin, wrote about wrote about this movie as a, as a Star Trek virgin, and had no clue what was going on in that scene. You know, and I and I, I can imagine why. Like, it would be very strange to see this old dude pop up. It, she thought it was his father. Yeah, uh, it's. I mean, it's it's, it's fan service. <laughs> this is what Edelstein said in New York Magazine. That was such a smart insight. Is that this is basically kind of glorified fanfic. It's like mm-hmm. big budget fanfic. Mm-hmm. You know, and so if you really are an old time fan, you're going to feel these like, warm glows. You know, but it is sort of service for the fans without necessarily a lot to say. To people coming from the outside, yeah, totally. assuming that there are many people like Aisha. Who who haven't seen any Star Trek in their lives. Which just seems impossible. Yeah, to me. not too many. <laughs> yeah. Would that be a part of your complaint against this movie? Because in general, you found it too much of an actioner and not enough of a true science fiction movie, right? Yeah, and I think I think part of that is is the use of Khan as the villain. I mean, he is one of the more action-oriented villains in the Star Trek universe. Um, you know, if you go back to the Star Trek II, the original movie where he's there, and then the episode that, that sort of spawned him... Um, he, I mean, there's some s- cryogenic freezing, and he's a genetically uh, superior being, and all of that. But, but it's not so sci-fi. And the thing that I miss in the Abrams movies, which is something that I wrote about on Slate, um, is sort of the the spirit of exploration and discovery, and sort of geeky sci-fi ness um, that that I found in Voyager, that I found in in, in TNG, and, and the series before that. Um, you know, it's just not here in this movie. This movie is an action movie. It's a sort of military movie, a political movie, post nine eleven you know, kind of uh, gloss. So it's not curious, right, in the way not, that the, no, the show is. It's not curious. There's not a lot of space for sort of breathing and, and meditating on different ideas or possibilities, mysteries. Well, there's not really any downtime on the Enterprise, Mm-mm. right? And a really big part of the original series, for sure, and of, of many of the movies as well, is that there is downtime. There's, you I know, mean, there's three-dimensional like, chess games, and there's conversations about science. There's stuff in the holodeck. There's, like, conference room meetings. I mean, uh, one of the things I actually liked a lot about Voyager that I think other people didn't like but that I loved was they would have these sort of roundtable discussions where everyone would be hypothesizing about what you know the new tachyon particle burst in this nebula was about and like i don't know i can tell that it, it, you know it's not the most exciting thing but it did it did sort of um 
please the geek in me for sure. And uh, you were saying that, that that show sort of sparked your curiosity about actual science. As that's well. right. Yeah, yeah. No, I, that was about the time that I got interested in astronomy first, and then uh, physics, and read you know my Stephen Hawking and Brian Greene, and um, got a telescope, and, and did the whole thing. No, it totally led to an, an interest in actual science um, and sort of comparing the the sci-fi narratives that you you'd get in a vo- like a Voyager show with what is actually possible. And you know, a lot of times the differences aren't so big i mean a lot of the stuff is is based in science if not if not you know totally possible or plausible and there are so many science words i was reading about mm-hmm. this after this came out that the oed has adopted from from star trek yeah. some of which have come to name you know actual technological developments that that star trek sort of foresaw absolutely yeah yeah and i mean i, I think scientists will tell you that many of them many many of them are inspired by you know sci-fi shows star trek and, and others um to to ask the questions that they ask for sure but one thing that this this movie does and the previous jj abrams star trek as well i think does preserve from at least the original series i think from all of them really is that optimism and hope you know that they're not mm-hmm. dystopian fantasies about the future they're utopian fantasies and that's sort of hard to come by in mainstream action blockbusters set in the future right i mean we're, it's so presumed that we're going to be wandering through some rubble-filled post-apocalyptic landscape that i did i did like the sweetness and the forward-lookingness of the end of this movie and instead the whole world is is like a beautiful san francisco like you know skyline no it, it, it is star trek has always had that sort of utopian idealist uh, idea of the future, and I, and I, I always appreciated that. I, I think that that's a hopeful vision versus yeah, the more dystopian thing that we're more, we're more used to, for sure. Let's take a break here for a word from our sponsor, and then we'll get to talking about the cast, which I really want to hear your thoughts on. This episode of the Slate Spoiler Special is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 700,000 high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use the offer code SPOILER5. At Shutterstock.com, you'll find the perfect video for your next creative project, whether it's a website, an advertisement, a multimedia presentation, or any kind of film project. They have over 700,000 high-quality stock video clips, 2D animations, and 3D motion graphics. They have clips in a variety of digital formats, and most come in HD. They source the clips from around the world and put them at your fingertips, adding 10,000 new clips every week, so whenever you visit, you'll find something new. You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account. No credit card needed. Just start an account, begin using Shutterstock to help imagine what your next project could be like, and save video selections you find to your clip box. Once you decide to purchase, use the offer code SPOILER5 and new accounts will get 30% off any package. Again, that's Shutterstock.com, and for 30% off new accounts, use the offer code SPOILER5. The Spoiler Special thanks Shutterstock for their support. Okay, back to Star Trek. So it sounds like, unlike me, you're not a fetishist for the original show. So these characters, Kirk, Spock, Uhura, Scotty, are not, you know, maybe as, as archetypal a part of your DNA as they are to me. But what do you think of this cast and how they how they bring to life or don't bring to life these familiar characters? Sure, yeah. I, I love um, Zachary Quinto as Spock. I think he does a really good job of that. Although I agreed with your review when you said that there's a little bit too much emotion in him uh, over the course of this Yeah, movie. and I think that's a script thing, not necessarily yeah, Zachary sure, Quinto sure, thing. Yeah, sure, sure. But it, it, I think it would be better if they let... If if the script let him maintain the sort of Vulcan uh, 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 stoicness because he, he's good at it. I think, And he, he's got a long way to go, right? Yeah, <laughs> he's the, got more movies to, abs- in which he can break down. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and I, and I, I like you, was a little disappointed in the tear streaming down the cheek, uh, you know, 
towards the end. But or even just the positing that this relationship between Spock and Uhura, right? I mean, I, I like Kirk was sort of asking, well, how is that possible? Yeah. How is this relationship going forward between the human and the half human? Yeah, and it was so so briefly explored that it, it didn't seem necessary. I mean, I'm not I'm not entirely sure that why that was even in the movie. Um, although I loved um, Zoe Saldana in that role, and I think we could use more of her. Um, yeah. Do you agree that, that it was, I mean, there's a lot of sort of sexist outcry against yeah. this movie, which is sort of hard for me to take seriously. Given, I mean, it's sort of like the race complaints about girls. It's like what movie of this mm-hmm. sort isn't completely mm-hmm. sexist, you know? But um, but certainly Uhura is given less to do than she was in the original series. Absolutely, yeah. And and the other female character, uh, Dr. Marcus, who shows up... Is basically just cheesecake. Just Yeah, she's just there with blonde hair and looking pretty, and it's it's kind of pointless. So I, I, I wish we could have a little bit more of, of both of those characters maybe in the next movie, um, if possible. What about Chris Pine? To my amazement, I'm such a William Shatner fan, mm-hmm. and there's really no one who can declaim a line of dialogue, over-declaim a line of dialogue like, like William Shatner, but somehow Chris Pine's performance, you know, without surpassing it, captures a little bit of the spirit and is also its own thing. I think Chris Pine is great as Kurt. It is, and it seems to me it has a little bit more of the 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 sort of um, hothead about it than than the original Kirk did, which I like. I, I buy it. It, ma- it makes sense. I mean, it's it's a towards the beginning of this movie um, when he gets dismissed initially from his uh, from being the captain of the ship. It was a little overwrought, I thought, a little, a little too angry, and I'm gonna have a drink at the bar and just, and just be like that. But, but overall, I buy it, and I like him in the role. I think it works for sure. Yeah, and it, it brings in the sort of the horn dog side of Kirk, mm-hmm. which, as sexist as it may be, I always love. I love the shore leave moments, <laughs> like in the original series when you'd see him putting his boots back on, yes, which yes. was so racy for the time, yeah, right? Yeah. It did seem like the red shirts get very sidelined in this version, right? All the, the mm-hmm. menial laborers of the ship, that is, uh, Scotty, right, who runs the engine room, and uh, and Chekhov, who has a tiny, tiny part. Yeah. Those guys seem like they were more there just to sort of provide the furnishings of a vaguely Star Trek-like bridge. Yeah, although it, it, it's true. They're, they're, they're not very present. However, um, Scotty— Simon Pegg's funny as Scotty. He's great. And, and it's oddly enough, though, he does provide one of the most important plot points in the movie where he discovers the uh, USS Vengeance being built uh, outside of Jupiter or something. It's very quickly shown, but he goes there, and he's on the ship and end up, ends up sort of saving the day in the end. Um, but, but it's only very briefly explored, and, and it's, it's a shame because he was great in the role. Yeah, you wanted to see him climbing through the tubes mm-hmm. like we always did in the yes. old series, right? Yes. And what about some of the furnishings of the universe, the way it looks, the way it sounds? Let's talk about that. Michael Giacchino's score, which I think is really spirited and funny and bright and, and captures a lot of the spirit of the original, which is hard because there is fantastic music in that oh original gosh, show. Yeah. Not just the main Alexander Courage theme, but all those little incidental cues, mm-hmm. right? No, and, and they're so, I mean, you just can't have Star Trek without, without the music. And I think he did a really nice job of... of Taking quotes from that music, especially in the end titles, there, you know, he did a nice job of weaving it with his own scoring, and, and it and it it was of a piece with the universe, and I loved it. I think it really carried the movie forward and made me feel. Uh, a part of it. Part and among of other universe. things, it's kind of melodic, you know, in mm-hmm. an old-fashioned way. It's not just that Hans Very Zimmer, orchestral, you know, yeah. it's not just pounding percussive mm-hmm. suspense music. No, it, it, it's beautiful. I mean, it's a lovely. I actually bought the album, and I haven't bought a soundtrack in a long time because of, because of the sort of Hans Zimmerification of just uh, ostinatos everywhere. But this this was lovely and, and really well written. I thought. And the, and the look of it. Look of it was great. I actually uh, noticed the warp core being really interesting in this. I remember the warp core as always just being a sort of blue tube of you know sort of electrified material I actually google imaged the warp core to see yeah. how it's looked in all different periods and, in, and it's appeared in basically every version of the show the warp core being I guess the you know central power unit yes. of the ship right yeah, it's, which sort of looks like a big air conditioning unit yeah there's meant to be some sort of I think an- matter antimatter reaction going on that enables warp 
travel somehow. I, I don't, I'm not entirely sure how that works. But um, in this in this version, in, in Abrams' version, uh, it looks much more um, complicated. It's you know, in the, in the in, like I say, in the in the Voyager version and, and ones before that, it was sort of this clean you know blue tube and in this it was it was very complicated with all kinds of valves and 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 layers and given you know the radiation poisoning being such a big uh part of this movie at the end when kirk dies from it uh that makes much more sense than sort of the 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 conference room with the blue tube in the middle of it i I thought it was a smart way to reimagine the ship you know that's a complete callback to the wrath of khan almost Mm -hmm. to to the the degree that it's a little bit too on the nose when when he dies the same way that spock dies dies. in wrath of khan right and is locked in this chamber and the two of them say goodbye with the vulcan salute through the glass and all of that is exactly the same as is the scream khan which i thought was a little bit cheap i mean that's such a famous moment it's been parodied so many times to have it just Reproduced exactly without any kind of twist was was a little bit on the nose. Well, and I, you know, I, I guess one of the things that Abrams has to do with these is is nod to the to the hardcore fans, and I I, I was. But there are nods that are not just reproductions of the yeah, moment. Yeah, no, of course, and and I agree that the that the con scream was was a little much, and, and it had sort of a, a zoom, and it it just it felt a little cheesy. I'm surprised the felt. camera didn't pull high up into space, yes. like in Simpsons parodies <laughs> of con screams. Yeah. What about the lens flares? Did they drive you crazy? That's such a J.J. Abrams. I know take. this is your this is your uh, pet peeve with him. It, it doesn't bother me so much. And I was I saw this in IMAX, like you know, two inches away from the screen. Oh, uh, I wish I'd seen it in IMAX. It was intense. <laughs> I, I actually don't know that I would want to see it that way again. It was it was it was quite large uh, and and intense. So I I. Uh, I didn't notice the lens flares as much as I did just the bigness of everything. I don't mind the odd lens flare, and it makes sense in some movies, like in Super 8, right, when mm-hmm. he's setting yeah. it back in the day, when you know there were a lot of lens flares at the time. But it, it's, it's starting to be almost a crazy tick yeah. where you can't stop. Yeah. What about the 3D? Do you think that added anything? I didn't mind it. I, did, I don't know that it added anything, no, but I, I didn't mind it. I mean, I think as 3D goes, you know, a space movie makes sense for it. There's more depth to play with and ships traveling and all of that. Um, so I, I think it was fine. Uh, but I don't know that it also was was essential. I think it, I think it worked. Do you feel like you want to see more J.J. Abrams Star Trek, or is it tapped out? I would be curious to see more if it goes in the more science fiction direction. Um, I mean, I enjoyed both of the both of the new movies, the 2009 and, and this one. I think they're great action films, a fun night of the movies for sure. Uh, but given that we're now going on our five year mission. Um, you know, let's hope that there's some exploration, some of of new races, new aliens, new phenomena, whatever. But but I want I want that sort of spirit of discovery and exploration back. I don't I don't want political intrigue and Star Wars style fighting. That's right. just not what I go to Star Trek for. So we can't wrap up this conversation without talking about the fact that J.J. Abrams, who directed this movie, is also going to be directing the Star Wars, uh, not reboot, but the, the the sequel, the next Star Wars, which is coming out, I believe, in 2015. Um, it's very, very strange that the same man was given Star Wars and Star Trek, I think, to people who perceive those as two not necessarily opposed, but very, very different universes. It just feels wrong that one person would be at the reins of both. It brings them too close together somehow. I would go as far as to say it's perverse. I, I, I really don't get how one person could could sort of direct both those universes. Um, precisely for the reasons we were talking about earlier. I mean, Star Wars, for me, was always uh, an action, essentially an action film with a lot of politics. I never really cared for it that much, actually. A space Western, is they yeah, say, Yeah, Space right? Western, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I watch them, they're fine. I don't really connect to it at all in the way that I connected completely to, to agree Star Trek. even as a kid I mean I think I was I was 11 or so when Star Wars came out mm-hmm. I guess I was supposed to be the ideal age to you know 
buy the action figures and care about it. And I remember sort of feeling like this is a kid's movie, even then, you know, not disliking it, but just it didn't capture my imagination the way the Star Trek show did. No, absolutely not. I mean, it it is, you know, it's a fine, entertaining film, but a series of films, but it it just does not sort of engross you or me in the way that I think Star Trek has done. So, but do you think maybe Abrams is more suited to it since we're finding this too actiony and I, not curious enough? I would say so. Yeah, it seems it seems like uh, given the, the sort of focus on politics and action in these Star Trek these two Star Trek movies, um, that Star Wars was a better fit for him. And you know, we'll. I mean, I, I would like to see more Star Trek being made. Um, I don't know if it's going to be by him or someone else will continue the franchise. Maybe I think even better would be a television show than more movies. Actually, I would love to see it rebooted that way. I think it. Star Trek lends itself more to that format and allows for that the space we were talking about lacking the sort of breathing room. For, Completely, uh, it, it is it can explore, on television. It can explore different cultures, right? Yeah, it, it's much better on television that way. So I, I would hope that you know these two, the, the success of these two movies uh, will sort of make a studio interested in, in going that way. But I don't need him to be on Star Trek anymore. If he if he wants to go to Star Wars, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, he can defect over to the other yeah. side, to the dark side. Yeah. All right, well, Brian, thank you so much for coming in to spoil Star Trek Into Darkness with me. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers. For Slate.com, I'm Dana Stevens. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. 